That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, available on Amazon and everywhere. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Lou Perez Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Perez, and I am very happy to be joined by my next guest. She uh, has a YouTube channel that you should check out, and she also writes regularly for Human Events and the Post-Millennial. Please give it up for Sarah Higdon. Yeah, did, uh, did I get yeah. Higdon right? Yeah, you got it right. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. This was uh, I was excited when you asked me to come on, so uh, I'm excited for this. Very cool. For, for, um, first off, uh, Higdon, what, what where, where's that from? Where... I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a pretty rare, uncommon name. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's English, but most of my heritage comes from Poland and Ireland. So <laughs> it has that like. Um uh what's his what's his name oh my god now i'm forgetting it he wrote a christmas carol he wrote uh dickens it has like a dickens uh feel to it you know yeah 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 um so uh you know i think i think you and i we've been following uh each other's work for a little while i remember um some months back uh you and i were both published in human events and uh our mutual friend uh Eliza Blue uh, was also published there, and there was some there was some controversy there. I don't know if you remember it, uh, because I think somebody had reached out to Jack uh, Posayek, um about like yeah like what's you know what's what's the deal having like a trans person writing for human events, and I th- I, I, I I we didn't know each other at, at the time, but uh, in that little back and forth on Twitter, I'm like. Oh well, I got to check out Sarah's work. So uh, yeah. yeah, so here, I, how how what, what was your response like? You know, hearing that, your reaction to that. Well, you know, all these all these um, you know ultra right conservatives, they always are so worried about you know trans people doing stuff and and conservatives actually embracing them. And it is funny, yeah, because when they when they reached out to Jack Posobiec, Jack like I don't. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, and all they end up doing is like you said, like, it, exactly what they did for you is they put my work out there. So every time I've been canceled, um, I just gain followers because that's the first time people have heard of me. And they're like, Oh wait, Sarah's actually saying this. That's pretty cool. You know? And I give human events a lot of, you know, I think Eliza actually said it at the time is like human events has been publishing Liberty activist. Um, for a little while now and so they uh they're great over there and obviously now um libby evans has taken over and libby's a friend of mine and so i've been working for the post-millennial and human events um pretty regularly so it's it's been good that's great yeah i, I love libby um she was a guest um of a, a little while back uh that was a lot of fun we basically we spent the whole time geeking out on like theater on theater <laughs> stuff and all that but you know, there, there's something about. Um, I mean, this is just, this is going to sound like pretty like like I'm not really saying anything, but I enjoy reading uh, the, the opinions of interesting people. In that, people who um, you know they're going to surprise you um, if you just take them on like on face value, you know. Yeah. So so like y- yourself, uh, you're trans, you're libertarian, you're also Catholic. And I know all that, I think, because that's like your Twitter, your, your Twitter, <laughs> that's bio. My Twitter bio. <laughs> so, so you're leading with all these things where I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, th- this human being exists. How did this uh, how did this happen? Um, but, you know, maybe we could we could talk a, a little bit about 
well, like, yeah, is, is it weird? Like, like, you know, being like a trans person where every time you talk, you end up being kind of like a spokesperson for the trans movement. Like that's what people want to talk about, like off the yeah. bat. Yeah, because the thing is, is I got into this mostly, um, I've always been involved in or interested in politics and stuff like that. So that's really where a lot of my passions lied. And but now, because the trans issue has become so prominent on everybody's tongue, that's all it seems like I talk about. And it's like the last thing I want to talk about, because it's probably the least interesting thing about me, you know, it's like I... I'm just a normal person that likes to have so much fun. And it's always interesting because I love coming on shows like this and everything like that, because it really starts to show like what my personality is. Like on my show, everything seems so serious because I'm fighting against a evil ideology in my opinion. But when I come on other shows, I can, you know, let my hair down and, 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 um, you know, just have a little fun. And, and it really starts to show like who I am, because like I said, I mean, that's like the least interesting thing about me. Um, conservatives are interested because yeah, I'm a veteran too. I served seven and a half years in the army and my story goes way back. Like I spoke at the uh, Libertarian Party's anti-war rally a couple months ago, or yeah, back in February. Um, and that's one thing that people don't really understand about me. It's how I went from being a veteran like serving in seven and a half years in the army to now being very much anti-war and against you know interventionalism around the world how i went from being a neocon to a libertarian well i guess i i guess fighting in a war will actually do that to you right yeah it does, it yeah. does. Okay. that's really what it was well i served in afghanistan in 2013 and then um, it was actually the military taught me to see big picture foreign policy. And that was like, I was like, wait a second. The Iraq, the Iraq war was a lie, but it was a lie not because of oil and not because of weapons of mass destruction, but because of Iran is in the middle of um, Afghanistan and Iraq. And so I realized that I looked back and started again, going through Ron Paul, because I loved Ron Paul, but I was couldn't get past his foreign policy. And I was like, wait a second, Ron Paul was right. We've destabilized this region and we were, we, we kind of done all of this. We're the only reason why we're there is because of stuff that we've done in the past that has completely destabilized this region. But yeah, I mean, so I, I, I like talking about a lot of different stuff, but it seems like, yeah, the, I am the, the, the spokesperson for, you know, kind of the more rational trans people at this point in time. What were you, um, were you out, um, in, uh, in F when you were serving in Afghanistan, were you, you no. know, no, no, my story, I was, um, no, I actually didn't come out, um, until 2014. Um, so I started 20, so from 2010 to 2017, I was in the army. I came out to the first person in 2014, but I didn't actually start transitioning until 2019. No. Oh. And, and, um, yeah, what's that like? I mean, it, it's so wild. Just, you know, I mean, when you think of like soldier, you think of army, you just think of like testosterone overload and then to start transitioning, you know, from what is that, what does that entail? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I know very little about, you know, especially the medical side of this stuff. Like what does transitioning mean? You know? Yeah. Um, it, it's, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me, so I actually, what most people don't realize is that um, throughout history, it's kind of been shown that more trans people serve in the military than are in our general population, but more under the guise of like being hidden, right. Um, or being in the closet. 
And I think part of that has to do with wanting to join this hyper-masculinized field to try to suppress who you are, to try to suppress these feelings that you're having. Um, and so when you get out, it's really interesting because that's the only secret I've ever kept my entire life. And so when I came out to my family, I basically felt free. Like I was like, it was living with no secrets and ha not having that anxiety was, was freeing. Um, and I think the biggest thing too, is I'm still pretty much the same person as I was then. Um, I'm just more feminine. And yeah, so in 2019, I, I started, um, I started living full time and I started taking hormones, which that changes a lot. It feminizes the body, it feminizes the face, but it really takes a couple of years before you really even see the biggest effects of hormones and, and stuff. And um, yeah, and then some people have surgeries and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, because I've been uh, um, I've been getting back to, to working out. OK, so in a way, in, in a way, I'm transitioning back to back into <laughs> like a like a more testosterone. I'm trying to get some more testosterone. I have I have two kids and I know that they say they like men's testosterone levels like kind of drop like when you have kids, because I guess it's like there's an evolutionary thing of, about being uh, it's better to be a little bit more caring than, a, I guess, like a, a Neanderthal or something like that. But, you know, something that, that I noticed, you know, right away of getting back you know, to working out is the not only the effects like on my body, but also on my on my mind too, on my emotions. Yeah. Um, I I feel a lot better you know, both you know, mentally and bodily. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, pumping up, you know, the t testosterone levels. So when you go in reverse, like what, you know, what are some things that you noticed, like, you know, off the bat? Yeah. So that was the crazy thing that I, I didn't really know and didn't really expect. So when I started blocking testosterone and taking estrogen, um, it was really crazy. So I was having all these emotions that I didn't know what to do, what to do with. Like my body, I felt like I was going crazy for a little while. Like for a couple months, I my body was not used to this and I was not used to it. So I really did. I felt like I was going crazy. Like I was doing things that I wouldn't normally do. And then it just like I was then just really emotional all the time. And then I started to get used to it. But then I started a year later, I started on progesterone and it was the same thing. And if you know, I actually, one of my friends who was pregnant, she's like, it sounds like you have pregnancy brain. And I, wow. it, I mean, because that's what pr progesterone is the pregnancy, like it spikes during pregnancy. And so that's what kind of causes it. And so what I, what I really attribute it to is my body ended up starting to get used to it. Whereas a biological female, their progesterone goes up and down through the month. And so that's what causes different mood swings during the month. And that's why you see so many hormonal um, things in biological females um, during the month, because their body never has a chance to just completely get used to the hormones because it's not at the same elevated state all the time where mine are now. And so I'm used to it. And I just realized I probably just got canceled by all the red thumbs out there right now. <laughs> right. Well, no, but it, it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting because, you know, I, I think there's been so much emphasis on the idea of, you know, social constructs and, you know, granted when it comes to, you know, outward displays of, of gender, it's like, uh, yeah. Why is it that, you know, women, you know, it's, you know, wore dresses and men didn't, or maybe men wore kilts or, you know, there, there's stuff yeah. like that. It's like, okay, you know, I, I can understand, you know, the arguments over, well, you know, 
blue wasn't always a boy color. It was some, it was at one time a girl color and pink was a boy. color. Okay, fine. But like you are, you know, just, you know, from your own like experimentation with your body, the immense differences between that, that hormones um, have on people, you know? So it's sort of like, it's, it's really, you know, breaking it down to the biological elements, you know, of, of this stuff that, that are real and just can't be just, you know, can't be just brushed away. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's, um, like you said, I actually, when I first started, um, I started a medium channel pretty early on. I actually look back at some of the, some of the writings that I had, and it was like the difference between men and women, a trans perspective, because I was going through this process that I was like, wait a second, all this stuff is changing. And so I was, I have a very unique perspective as to what each side, because based off of hormones, what starts to happen. Um, but, and it is interesting because that you were talking about working out earlier. I actually, I'm the same way. I started, I'm back in the gym. I've um, been in the gym for a couple of years. And when we talk about like trans and sports issues, that gives me a unique perspective on trans and sports because I've always been an athlete. And then I don't think that trans women should compete in female sports because there's no advantage that I have ever been able to race simply by being on testosterone or uh, on estrogen alone. Mm. And so, um, it is really interesting. And so, and, and the gym is probably what keeps a lot of me, it keeps me sane. What I realized is your body produces um, testosterone in the adrenal glands. And so that's what kind of helps boost your mood a little bit as well too. Um, the adrenaline helps with uh, mood stability. I mean, I, I, I was on uh, Lexapro for a little while and I traded the Lexapro in for a gym membership and Delta 8 for situational anxiety. So, um, again, another thing that I'm passionate about that most people don't realize is cannabis activism and stuff like that and alternate medicines. Yeah. So you're such a libertarian. You're such a Ron Paul, Ron Paul libertarian. (laughs) You know, um, so I, uh, you bring up, uh, Lexapro and I think, uh, that was, that was something, uh, uh, around the, the time of my book coming out. Um, I was super stressed out, like, a, a, like un, uh, unreal, just just not taking care of myself, not uh, not exercising, not eating right, and it's sort of like I uh, any free time that I had when I wasn't working was just spent on worrying about my future and my family, and it was just yeah. instead I instead of you know doing an, you know an hour in the gym every day, I was doing an hour of anxiety uh, every day, which is fucking <laughs> you know fucking awful for you. And, uh, I go to, uh, I've been seeing a, my therapist for, oh man, a really, uh, really long time now. And, uh, you know, it got to the point where I was just so down where I was saying, I, you know, I need, I I'm willing to try, you know, anything that'll help. And, and we started talking about things like Lexapro and all that. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and obviously with, with something like that, you don't just dive into it. You know, you want to, you know, see another, you know, uh, see other doctors and and, and that sort of thing. But it was sort of like when I, when I, uh, when, when I established for myself that I had a problem and that all of these previous um, uh, behaviors that I had that were positive, that I I wasn't doing them anymore. It was like, Mm -hmm. well, let's see what happens when I'm, if I go back to doing them, you know, let's see what happens if I actually take the time to eat better exercise and you know and i'm 
you know, I'm thankful, you know, to say that it's worked tremendously and that I'm not, you know, I'm not on any, uh, I'm not on anything. And, I, and this isn't, you know, putting any, yeah. anybody down who, who, who is on stuff. Cause I have uh, family members who, you know, have been helped out, you know, big time picking up where we left off. I think I was talking about how I almost started going on. I don't know if they're considered antidepressants or something, uh, something along that in a similar family. Yeah. Uh, but instead I ended up, uh, uh, dieting better, uh, working out. And, uh, fortunately for me, I'm, you know, I don't have to, uh, don't have to take that. So I think that's where, yeah. we're, where do we go? Yeah, from there? I, I think, no, I think it was. So I, I, it's interesting because, well, that's the, that's the thing is I have friends that are on antidepressants and if it works for you, great. But even the ones that I have that are on them would like to try something else, right? Like, right. Um, they've shown promise in like LSD psychotherapy, um, and stuff like that, where you take LSD with a doctor and they guide you through it. And so there's those types of experimentation out there. And I think actually Thomas Massey put up a bill in Congress with Cory Booker. So a, a bipartisan bill to allow for, um, to expand the right to try act. So you can, you know, you can try any experimental treatment because it's your body, your choice type stuff. And I mean, you being a veteran, I mean, this must be, you know, really, you know, close to you because, um, you know, the stuff that, that you've probably seen, you know, personally, but also your, um, you know, those who you fought with uh, alongside. Yeah. Excuse me. yeah. I mean, there's a lot out there that says some of the stuff um, could be more almost cures for PTSD. So it is something that I do follow very closely. And I will tell you too, like, I didn't even realize how much, um, my my emotional support animal my dog helps me out she went missing last week and i i I couldn't deal like it was a wreck so at the most it's like at my at at the worst point i needed my dog but that's the whole reason why i wasn't feeling you know i was depressed was because my dog was gone and i'm like so it's amazing how much um you know support we need and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the terms of you know big pharma medications though yeah uh, there was there was one one time I was in uh, I was in Brooklyn and waiting to be sat at a restaurant, and in the bar area, a guy came in with uh, not one but two just giant like really big yellow labs, and uh, they're like, "Sir, you can't you can't bring the dogs in." He's like, "They're my support animals," <laughs> and I was just thinking like how fucked up it is that this guy has two support animals. It seemed a little bullshitty. Like it yeah. seemed like, cause I was like, I don't know if you need two, like maybe you're not the best person to be raising these dogs. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe one, um, maybe one's enough because that means that one's not actually doing its job. They're probably not paying attention to you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to hook up or something, make little, <laughs> make little yellow labs. and But, um, yeah, so, so we were, we were talking about you, you know, uh, uh, exercising, uh, promoting that, and also how that, you know, relates to um, uh, trans women in, in sports now and, and, and competing. Uh, so maybe we could talk a, a little more uh, about that because uh, so some of the stuff I, I think is a little wild. I remember a friend of mine shared with me a, an article about a, a trans woman who I think it, I think it only like transitioned like maybe like a year or two and was competing in women's mixed martial arts mm-hmm. and uh my friend pointed out he said you know it's a little fucked up like where it's like 
you know, you go through like all this transition, you know, transitioning and, and, and like the first thing you want to do is like get in there in a cage and <laughs> fight women. Like it's a little, it's a little much, you know, it's like, I don't know what other demons you're trying to, to work out. Yeah, I mean that is that's that's a that's a great point because why would you want to? Why would you want to go fight women? Like you just <laughs> it's like the most masculine thing you can do is to right. go, you know, step in a ring and fight and you know, and you just came from that area. And actually it's interesting because the last um fighter, the MMA fighter, I forget what her name was off the top of my head. It wasn't um Fallon Fox was the first, but there was another one who was a former Green Beret then stepped in the ring to fight. And what's really interesting about like combat sports, obviously with like MMA, like especially professional, like the women have to accept the fight, but they're pressured to accept the fight. You know, like if if they don't accept this fight, they could lose like their, um, they could lose their ride. They could lose their card, you know, to, to be able to fight more. So it's like almost like they have to accept the fight. Um, but that person fought, I think one big fight and I don't think they've fought since, but, um, it's always been a big controversy. It doesn't make any sense. And, um, yeah. And just being on, you know, estrogen for a year, it doesn't even, it doesn't do enough to even move the needle when it comes to erasing a biological advantage that you have by going through male puberty. Yeah. Like has anybody pinpointed like the amount of time that one needs to be on, you know, on estrogen or the other hormones to, you know, complete, like completely dial back any of the uh, advantages of going through male puberty? Well, um, according to a study in uh, that the UK did back in 2021, 20, there is no amount of time. Um, you can never erase the biological advantage. I mean, think about this. It's um, you can't, you don't reduce your bone density. You don't reduce your lung capacity. You don't, change like your your hip angles uh and all that stuff so there is like no like there's no there's no amount of time that you can take that would actually erase that it would only be if you were talking about like if you started going through puberty at 13 and then started transitioning in at 16 that maybe you could but I, i mean that's not ethical either so i don't support kids transitioning at that point so i don't think that males should ever compete in female sports yeah yeah and it's uh it is wild just how how much focus is on it now like how much it it's happening uh and i i hear you know quite a few um you know critics will will say or critics of one side of it will say well it's not happening that much so you shouldn't care about it but then it's like well if it isn't happening that much then you shouldn't care about it and you know what what <laughs> would, would, yeah. would stopping it you know make a uh you know make it make a difference um I mean, I, I, I think it would. I mean, the, the, the issue is, especially when it comes to a lot of the uh, like Title IX sports, so like school sports, like you're talking about taking away scholarships away from right. biological females, um, which is one of the big issues. And I don't, I don't know when the Title IX, um, when they stop hearing comments about the change of the Title IX, but if you, uh, the Defense of Freedom Institute, um, they, they have a link on their website to go and, and voice your opinion on that. But it's really bad, yeah, because you're taking away spots away from from female athletes, and it's kind of the same thing. Is you know we we're banning um, childhood transitions all around the country, and the activists will say it's not happening, and then you say, well, if it's not happening, then why do you care if we ban it? And then they're like, well, because it's 
you know, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. It's life-saving. So it's like, it's, it's not. And so they, we can get kids to adulthood before they transition. And, and I mean, if you remember the women's national soccer team lost to a U15 boys team. And so that's how fast, you know, people like males gain an advantage over females. <laughs> yeah. I think when it comes to something like track also, it's like the, the world record uh, that's held by like, uh, you know, women is just, uh, you know, like thousands of boys every year, just, you know, completely demolish it. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, the, you know, the first, the first time that I, that I ever had like sort of a, an in-depth discussion about, uh, a lot of this stuff was with a um, a woman named uh, Exu Lansic. Do you know Exu Exu Lansic? Uh, her her real first name is Sierra, but she's she's she covers a, a lot of a lot of this stuff. And one one thing in particular, uh, I didn't know about it, but it was this sh- the show I Am Jazz. Yeah, um, and you know from what I've seen of of you know that show, and I guess clips of the show, um, it's like wait, I thought this wasn't happening. I thought they didn't do this to kids, you know? And then you have this, this prime example of a, of a child who has gone through just, you know, so much, you know, so much, you know, medical, yeah. you know, transitioning and a really, you know, uh, creepy part uh, is, I guess, you know, her mother, uh, her mother's a real, yeah. just the, the, you know, the stuff that comes out of this woman's out of this woman's mouth. Um, but She's yeah, it's, totally it's a trans housing mommy. So trans housing by proxy. Oh my God. Can we, yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit? (laughs) I, I, you know, it's one of those things you're like, oh my God, you know, it, 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 it sounds funny, but you're like, oh man, that, that, that could actually be real. Like, oh shit, that might be real. Um, yeah, so like, like even jazz is the prime example of this where, um, she was basically transitioned at a very young age, socially transitioned very young and went through the whole process um, um, from a very young age, like basically being pushed. And then once they put cameras in front of her face, now that's the problem is she's done this on on camera. And so once they started putting cameras on her face, that makes it even worse. And I think one of the first articles I wrote in human events was about the sunk cost fallacy when it comes to transitioning and how hard it is to like go again, like when you know something's wrong for you, but you keep going in that, in that, you know, that investment because, um, to turn, turn, turn away the alternative is, is very difficult to do. And so when your parents have basically indoctrinated you from a very young age, you know, that this is who you are, then it's hard for you to turn away. But now you're starting to see jazz with, with all the complications that jazz has had from surgery should turn anybody away from pe- transitioning young. Um, but as well, like jazz is saying, I don't feel like myself. I just want to be myself. And it's like, wait, like that kind of sounds like you this was never your choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. also a lot of uh, uh, moms on the left. I think we see this right now where it's a lot of, you know, upper middle-class white progressive women who are transitioning their kids for woke points because they've been told so much now that they are an oppressor simply by being white and upper middle-class, they are oppressive. And so the worst thing you can be is an oppressor in this society. And so that they go and they transition their kids. And now they're saying, look at how good of a mom I am. I have a trans child. So they basically get the oppression points through proxy. Oh my God. It's so, it's so, it's so crazy. And yet it sounds so, it, 
it's real. <laughs> it, it, it really does sound. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, I could imagine that, that scene where it's like, you know, your kid, you know, you pick up your kid from kindergarten and, and mommy's a little drunk on box on uh, some afternoon Chardonnay. And she's like, you know, what could really help me right now. Just get in with all the ladies in the neighborhood is if you just became a girl, like if you could just, you know, if you could just do that. Um, that's so wild. Um, in, in, in your case, uh, you know, do you, do you wish that you had like transitioned earlier? Like, do do you wish that that had been an option uh, for you? Like, did, did you, you know, did you have those thoughts as a kid? You know. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah so that's that's what I, I I mean. I lived with this my whole life, so I knew something was different around the age of four. Um, I had, you know, there was something that I was drawn to. I always wanted to know what it was like to be a girl. I knew I wasn't a girl. That's the whole difference. What we're telling people nowadays is you are you're a girl trapped in a boy's body, but that's not the case. I mean, I knew I wasn't a girl. I just wanted to know what it was like, and so I had these feelings that I was uncomfortable with who I was most of my life. And puberty was very uh, was very confusing uh, because I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I grew up in the in the I grew up in the nineties, so. Um, it was like, I was, I I'm bisexual. So I was envious of girls, but I wanted to date girls. And so I didn't know what was going on. Um, and so I just grew up, but in terms of what I want to transition young, no, I, I don't think I would. And see, this is, I, I guess I just don't think like that because I'm a person. I, I, I literally, I, I try to live with zero regrets in my life because everything that's happened has led me to where I am now. Um, and actually I was speaking at an event recently and I said, you know, I think somebody asked me the same question. I said, you know, I think, you know, obviously you you said I'm Catholic. I believe God put me in this position to be exactly where I am now to be fighting against this ideology, um, and making a difference in the world. And I don't think transitioning young would have, it could have put me in a different mindset, um, as to where it was. And so I actually have a tattoo that says, um, um, only look back to see how far you've come, focus on what's ahead. So I never really look at things in terms of would I want to transition young because I've lived such a good life. I don't think I would, you know? Well, I also wondered just how many, how much, you know, you would have missed out by like transitioning young. So, yeah, yeah I mean, so that's one of the, you know, some of the horror horrors that you hear about kids who are transitioned young or things like sterility, um, the inability to, um, achieve an orgasm later, you know, later yeah. in life. Um, in the case of, you know, jazz and, uh, you know, other, you know, kids, uh, when your penis hasn't been allowed to grow enough and you get, if you, if you are to get, you know, bottom surgery, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the uh, artificial vagina being too uh, shallow, you know, yeah, it was just like all these things are like, wait a minute, wait a minute i you don't hear about all that stuff that 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 people are going to have to deal with if they go if they go this route you know so yeah like in a, in a way it's sort of like uh, you know as confusing and 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 weird and you know and i know you've you know, had some trials and, and, and tribulations it's like but but you have those sensations you know like your body yeah. was allowed to you know to de- to develop you know, no, you're absolutely right. So that's one of the things that um, we're starting to find out even more and more about this is, yeah, 
like you, you said, Marcy Bowers, who's the, the president of the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, is also a Jazz Jennings surgeon, um, has talked about how she's not a fan of like using puberty blockers, um, even though she says that they are um, they, they might be medical necessary in, in some in the most extreme cases. Um, but that is the issue is she's the one that has basically now said that 100 uh, percent of the time, if they've been blocked, if they've had puberty blockers before they hit Tanner stage two, they will never achieve orgasm as an adult. And you're just saying, you're just looking at that going, you're literally saying kids can consent to something that they should, they have never experienced, nor should they have ever experienced in their life. So they're, they don't even know what they're giving up. Right. And then recently we, um, it was a story I, I'd never even heard about it. It was kind of hidden is one of the ch- children died in 2016 from complications from a vaginoplasty because they were part of the original Dutch protocol study that basically s- took was is what they use as the gold standard. You take puberty blockers until 16 and then you have surgery. Uh, then you take cross-sex hormones until 18 and then you have surgery. This kid had surgery at 18 and ended up dying because of a uh, uh, a flesh eating like cellulitis caused because they had to use part, they use parts of the colon to create Ugh. the rest of the, the neo vagina, which caused an E. coli infection. And the, the person died a couple days after surgery. And it is, it's like when, when you think about it, um, if you are able to grow into an adult, you have enough tissue, you have all, you know, you, um, and you've had all those sensations. And then you also have time to be able to, you know, store sperm if you ever want to have kids or anything like that. And so it just gives you time to think about it even more, especially when we know that 20% are growing out of it by the age of 20 or wow. 80%, 80% are growing out of it by the age of 20. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about like when I, when I was, a, when I was a kid, like going through, uh, you know, going through puberty, I remember who was, uh, my, you know, and, and, uh, for the first time, like, you know, like jerking off and, and, and orgasming, you know, like, what the, f- what is this un like, this is the, the most yeah. unreal thing I've ever felt in my life. And, uh, I want to do this as much as I, as much as I can. <laughs> and I remember like a, like a buddy of mine was like, yeah, if you keep, if you, um, if you keep doing it, if you keep like stroke, like, like, you know, jerking off then it, you could shoot, like it could shoot. <laughs> You know, and it's like, all right, it's like, all right, I'm going to try, I'm going to try that. But just the idea of like living a, a life where that is yeah. denied me, you know, and, and Greg, you're, you're a Catholic. So I know, I know you're not supposed to be doing that stuff, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Um, not at all. Not at not all. all. Not supposed to be doing that. Uh, we'll see you at, we'll see you at confession. Um, you know, there, there, there's a different set of rules for Catholic, you know, so <laughs> we do what we want and then just show up. <laughs> <laughs> It is Uh, interesting because I do consider myself a Catholic um, just because that's the church I grew up in. That's the church I feel most comfortable in. Um, But we talk about being more of a libertarian. I don't like the hierarchy of the church either. So it's like I'm kind of a Catholic in name only. (laughs) Got it. Got it. (laughs) I've met so many, uh, you know, so many Catholic anarchists uh, in particular. Um, And, uh, you know, in our circles, you know, in our, yeah. our, our community that, that, you know, that, that we're in, um, that I always find that, uh, always find that very interesting. Again, you know, interesting people. You're like, wait a minute, what, how, how does, how does, <laughs> you know, how do you make, uh, how do you square this circle? 
Um, but, uh, you know, some, something that uh, uh, recently uh, you uh, shared a, a video that I produced with uh, Free the People. And it's the first video yeah. in, a, in a comedy series I'm making called uh, Comedy is Murder. Uh, and the first video is misgendering a murderer. Uh, <laughs> and I, I appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing that video with, um, I think it was a post-millennial. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and all that. And, you know, just, you know, I, I wish it was just a comedy sketch, uh, you know, but, <laughs> it, but I got the idea for it from a, uh, you know, from an actual event of, you know, somebody who uh, uh, self-identifies uh, as a woman and was also a murderer of, of women uh so yeah where are you on that <laughs> where are you on that sarah um murder is bad yeah murder is bad. <laughs> no honestly i i loved your i love this the skit and actually uh terry sent it to me um to get my input um a couple weeks before you guys released it so and i i thought it was oh, i didn't know i didn't know that oh okay i'm gonna have to talk to terry about that <laughs> oh terry, I, I wasn't terry, supposed to say that <laughs> no terry is there like with the thumb like either up or down like sorry you're making a call like like caesar you know either up or down <laughs> no uh and well i mean i i uh i love the kibbies too um i hung out with them back in um i, w- I did matt's show when i was in dc in february and oh, cool. me and terry were on a panel last year at freedom fest and so that's how i got in contact with them but yeah she said it to me and i was like this is this is gold like this is this is perfect because you're it's you're right like the way to highlight the absurdities that is happening right now is through comedy and that was it's so ridiculous it's true like the fact of you playing a woman and what you're saying is hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. You do love to wash your hair, right? I mean, I, I do. I do. You know, you know, us girls. Um, <laughs> well, well, there's something about you know the commentary on um, self ID, which I think uh, is uh, you know one of the many controversies you know around this, uh, and yeah. how that's being played out, especially I think like. Oh, well, in, in the prison system, I, I thought I was I, I thought it was only happening in like in like Europe and England and, and, and all that. But apparently it's happening here where you have, yeah. you know, oftentimes, you know, violent criminals who, you know, rapists and, you know, who've, who've assaulted and beaten people. And they, you know, are are taking the route of say, of, of self-identifying without having like you know, done the work, I, I guess. Yeah. And then being placed in women's prisons and, you know, obviously putting women, uh, you know, women in harm's way. Uh, it's, it's really wild. Yeah. So what's, um, and this is, I mean, my, my solution has always kind of been, you know, you create an LGBT ward of prisons. Um, you, you, there's no reason to, especially um, prisons, somebody's already committed a crime to go to prisons. Right. And so I, I've always said kind of have like an LGBT war of prisons, but if you commit the most heinous crimes of murder, rape, anything like that, I really don't care. Put you in the men's prison. It's one of those things like you should be in a men's prison because you committed a very male driven crime. Um, and so I don't care. <laughs> like, right. um, like the, the, an LGBT ward should only really be for, for, you know, non, um, like nonviolent offenses. Um, 
in Bioware defenses, you can have you stay in prison with men. You know? Yeah, you would you would think it would be that way. Yeah, anyway, the idea of like, okay, we're going to house the violent with the violent and the nonviolent yeah. with uh, with the nonviolent. Uh, fortunately, I haven't you know had any experience with. Uh, uh, with the penal system, um, and you know, if all things if all things go well, I'll, I I will never have uh, have, yeah. have that that experience with it. Um, well, then you just say, I mean, then it was just female semen, right? Right. That's, <laughs> um, uh, uh, earlier, uh, you, you talked about you know fighting, um, you know the the ideology and evil ideology, and what 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 is that ideology? How would you um, describe? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, when I talk a lot, I talk a lot about queer theory and queer theory is, I mean, for most people that don't know, it's basically the, uh, it's the CRT for the, the gay community. And it's based in postmodern neo-Marxist ideals. So they don't believe there's any such thing as absolute truth. They want to erase, um, basically everything that you hold dear. They want to erase all the truths and then create this, you know, one, system and neo-marxism is kind of based in a two-class system um and so they want to put everybody down in this working class uh to work for the elites and so they are trying to erase all of that they're trying to and and probably the worst part about it is they are going um after the children and they are indoctrinating the children they want to make it make it seem like like if you're a parent, your kids don't belong to you. They belong to the state. And even Joe Biden recently said, like, there's no such thing as other people's kids. They're all our kids. I mean, that is Marxism. That is pulling, you know, the kids are now not that you don't have rights as parents to be able to make the choices um, in terms of schooling and all this other stuff that you should be able to make. Um, yeah. And a lot of the states around the country, um, they're they're even codifying that into law to where children can seek, you know, gender affirming care or um, even abortions as young as age 10 um, without parental knowledge or consent. Yeah. It, it is wild to, uh, you know, have someone like Joe Biden talk about, you know, they're all our kids where it's like, dude, I don't know. It's something you got some fucked up kids, Joe. Like, <laughs> you know, and look, my, you know, my, my boys are, are still young. Uh, I, I've, I've heard it described as, you know, having kids is like an experiment that you don't get the results for at least 20 years. Um, you know, I'm doing the, doing the best that I can, but my God, I mean, if just thinking like, uh, you know, if you raised a hunter, which I, I admit Hunter Biden sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, he sounds like a dude, you know, you could definitely party with, um, yeah. But he's a he's a he's a wild man, wild artist. Yeah, yeah I mean you're right. I mean, I, he might even go a little bit too far for me, you know, in a lot of this stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- there was a com- there was a comedian. Um, I forget I forget his name, but it was uh, it was during the the campaign uh, where he had brought up like you know. Uh, Trump going after, you know, Joe Biden for all this stuff. And he's like, just talk about his son, man. Like, that's all you got to do is just talk about. Uh, it's like his son uh, is sleeping with the widow of with his brother's widow. And there's something about, you know, hiding a gun and all that. It's like, it's like, why are you trying to dig up all this other shit? It's right there. Yeah, it's right there. And then he I mean, 
he's got pictures just smoking crack. So, I mean, crack is whack. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, do, I always find it wild where it, it seems like uh, uh, Joe Biden is is sort of the realization of so many things that people said Donald Trump was. So, like, ask everybody and they'll swear that Donald Trump has said the N word, you know? And it's like, but there's no evidence whatsoever of Donald Trump saying the N word. Mm-hmm. But we have Joe Biden saying the N word like at a congressional hearing. Now, context, you know, doesn't matter. Therefore, you know, that works. <laughs> and then, you know, talking about like, oh, uh, you know, Don Jr. is a is a cokehead. He, you know, it's like maybe he does coke. I don't know if we have, you know, physical evidence of it. But then we got Hunter, like you said, smoking crack. Yeah. It's it's, it's or uh, or the nepotism. They always say, right, that, you right, know, right. Trump kids are only you know it's nepotism but then you have hunter biden on all these global deals and stuff like that on the board of burisma and and all this stuff it, it's no um but actually talking about joe biden saying like the n-word did you see his speech at howard university this last weekend only uh, only that clip but yeah can you tell me about it <laughs> So he, yeah, well, the clip, he said white supremacy is the biggest terror threat to the country. Right. Well, actual radical Islamic terrorists are coming across our southern border. We actually found a Afghan soldier or Afghan who was on the FBI watch list came across the southern border, was arrested this weekend as well. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, but he's saying white supremacy is the biggest terror threat to our nation. He also said that it was uh, the Martin Luther King assassination that um, made him become a public defender after he graduated law school. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, otherwise, why did you? uh, I'm pretty sure he sponsored the 94 crime bill. So doesn't make much sense. (laughs) But we all know, like, Joe Biden's a liar. He's trying to rewrite history. And again, that's the that's the postmodern Marxist tell is they it's their history. It's their truth. It's not the truth. I I wonder if like because he's been in this game, you know, for, you know, for a long time. And I I would never think of him as like deliberately, you know, pushing like, say, like that, you know, ideology. But just his career alone just shows that he's pretty much doing a similar thing. I mean, whether it's charges of plagiarism or outright lying, um, you know, the you know all that, you know, all that stuff. I I didn't I didn't see the um, the speech uh, that he gave, but did he tell like you know all the black uh, people in attendance if that if they didn't vote for him, you know, they weren't black. Oh no! It wasn't that would have been interesting. That would have been interesting if if he had said that. Okay, no, uh, who you voted for Trump? Okay, you're not (laughs) black, even though you're attending a uh, you know historically black college. Well, it was interesting. He the whole the whole speech was about race. So it's at a historically black university, and all he's talking about is race. And honestly, if it's me, I'm gonna I'm feeling like he's literally come there to pander to me because like why are you talking about like my race, which is, again, has nothing to do with what my future is going to be. And only talking about that, it sounds like something that, you know, a stump speech. He also claimed that it was uh, Trump's Charlottesville speech that got him back one to go, you know, back into politics and run for office, which I don't know if that's true, but it seems kind of uh, just a, a far-fetched idea that that's what made him run. We all know 
We all know that he didn't decide to run. They they ran him because he's old and senile, and you know they can control him. Well, <laughs> it, it it is wild, like you know, uh, you know, talk having somebody who is the oldest white man I think living uh, talk about uh, race at all at a historically black college <laughs> yeah. or, or university. It's sort of sort of like you know. Uh, he's he's in a way you know it's like not only like you're the old guard you know you're the, the old yeah guard. like you've been in congress longer than i've been alive you know so right. you um and yeah i mean and and really he also told them that racism will never go away which oh great nice. yeah <laughs> that's, good. that's good to know <laughs> like job security that's what yeah. they want yeah man Dude, I, I need to I need to figure out how to monetize that for sure. Um, uh, Sarah, <laughs> Sarah, uh, uh, thank you for for speaking me. Uh, thank you for speaking me. Thank you for talking to me uh, so yeah. far. Uh, what we're gonna do now is we're gonna head over uh, for a locals exclusive. So if you've enjoyed uh, this conversation, head over to thelouperez.locals.com. Uh, I have some uh, questions that came in for Sarah from my locals community and. Definitely be sure to, to to follow Sarah Sarah Higdon on YouTube and check out her writing on human events and post-millennial. And um, on Twitter at Sarah Higdon with an underscore after it. There you go. <laughs>